Welcome to AFSPA Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association with Chief Operating Officer Kyle Longton. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcast channel. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to another episode of AFSPA Talks. I'm Kyle Longton, and along with me as always is... Hannah Wolfart. Hannah, today AFSPA Talks about Pain Management Month, which is the entire month of September. We're also going to talk about non-prescription options for managing pain. This episode is a bit of a follow-up to the podcast we had at the end of August about opioid misuse. In addition, we have a blog about chronic pain management that supplements this episode. Yeah, so if you haven't listened to the last episode, go back. It should be the last one in your feed from August 30th to, to hear a little bit about opioids and opioid misuse. And check out the blog on our website. There'll be a link in the, the show notes. Now, Hannah, this episode is coming out on September 13th, which is almost 18 months to the day since we started working remotely at ASPA. In fact, before you started working at ASPA, um, how is your work from home setup? My work from home setup is good. I have a desk set up and what I think is an okay or what I hope is an okay desk chair. Hopefully I don't end up with any major back problems. My desk setup is not fantastic. I am in my living room most of the time. And um, I have one of my ladder back, straight back wood dining room table chairs that I am using um, on a regular basis. And when when my, my wife, who usually works in our basement and has a proper desk chair, when we switch places, she refuses to sit in this chair. She'll just work on the couch for an hour or two because she said it hurts so much. So um I have not noticed an increase in pain, but that might speak to maybe stress and pain I was feeling prior to the pandemic um, or just not noticing. So I'm not necessarily feeling additional pain because of it um, or or anything new. I'm I'm able to manage things. Uh, Sounds like you're in a good place. Have you experienced any pain or, or joint issues over the last year? I definitely notice more stiffness after a full day of just sitting at my desk. Unfortunately, Kyle, I think that's something that's only going to get worse with age. Well, I think you actually are fall into league with a lot of our FSBP membership. In in 2020, we saw a huge increase in musculoskeletal issues and, and diagnoses that came in. It was our number one issue in 2020, and that trend continues in 2021. Um, and so I'm hoping that our members and our listeners and you yourself will get something um, out of our conversation with our next guest. Um, and we are actually today speaking with Dr. Jeff Krause, who is the chief medical officer at Hinge Health. Um, Dr. Krause graduated from Harvard College and earned his medical degree from the University of California, San Francisco School of Medicine and completed his residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation at Stanford University. On top of Dr. Krause's full-time role at Hinge Health, he's also a clinical assistant professor at Stanford in the Department of Orthopedics and continues to practice as a part-time staff physician at the VA Palo Alto Healthcare System. I hope um, you'll, we, we can all listen closely to some of the um, suggestions that he has for how to manage our pain, whether it's, it's chronic, increasing, new, whatever it may be. Um, I think he'll have some good suggestions for us. Dr. Krause, thank you for joining us on AFSPA Talks. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here uh, speaking with you and uh, have a, a lot of respect for the work that the Foreign Service does. So uh, I'm honored to be speaking with you today. I appreciate that. And I know our members will too. And, and we're excited to, to dive into to pain management as our topic and one of the focuses 
for the month of September. And it ties in well to our last episode at the end of August, where we talked with some um, folks at Trestle Tree, uh, another, another group we work with, and we focused on opioids. And we discussed briefly with our guests on that episode why many people are prescribed and why they turn to opioids, and, and that's pain. In many cases, people are facing chronic pain rather than just short-term. Can you share with us some of the statistics about chronic pain? Sure. Yeah, chronic pain is extremely common. Uh, Sources vary uh, depending on how you define chronic pain, but roughly one in two or in in, uh, one study, it's about 57% of Americans experienced recurrent or chronic pain in the last year. And chronic pain is really tied in with other health issues. And and a big one is clearly uh, depression and other mental health conditions. And I think that's um, obvious to some people that increased pain leads to increased depression. Um, You know, it's about six to 8%, say, of the normal population might suffer from depression, but um, it's a 30 to 50% of those with chronic pain who are suffering from depression. but but not only does pain sort of seem to increase depression, but also it seems to work the other way as well, that um, depression seems to make uh, pain worse. So notably, about 65% of the depressed population um, has chronic pain, and that's compared with um, you know, somewhere, depending on what stat you're using, it's 25 to, you know, to the 50% that I said earlier of people that have pain. So it's, it's a higher level of pain, uh, higher level of pain in that depressed population. Um, pain also uh, affects sleep, uh, quite a bit, um, approximately 20% of American adults have complained of trouble sleeping because of pain or physical discomfort. Um, and then you, you can measure these effects in a variety of ways, but, uh, in terms of costs, uh, by some estimates, the, it's costing the U.S. hundreds of billions of dollars each year, um, and that's in both healthcare costs and in lost productivity. Um, workers struggling with a pain condition lose an average of about uh, 4.6 hours per week of productive time. So obviously, that has a big impact uh, on you know not only their their sort of personal uh, life, but also in the productivity that they have uh, in the workplace. Some staggering statistics there and, and some tie-ins to other conditions we've explored. And I want to return to some of those, but I, I want to start off with, you've mentioned depression um, sort of tying in both ways, but what are some of the other conditions that contribute the most to, to chronic pain? Yeah. So, I, well, I think at least um, one thing that's probably worth clarifying is sort of specifically what are we talking about when we're discussing chronic pain? Um, you know, what what kinds of conditions are sort of um, included in there? And um, it, generally what it comes down to is, I um, mean, there's been various studies on this over, over the last decade or so, and, and pretty consistent numbers, but but low back pain is the biggest one. I mean, that's the most commonly reported. It's about um, 30% um, of people who will say that they have chronic lower back pain. Um, and in fact, chronic back pain, it's the second most common reason people call in sick after work, at work um, after the flu. Um, after low back pain, then we get to knee pain, and that's in about 20% of people, chronic knee pain. 
severe headaches and migraines are also uh, important here. They're reported by about 16% of people. Uh, neck pain is, is close behind at around 15%. And then, then we have shoulder and hip pain coming in after that, each a little below 10%. Uh, of people that have those painful conditions. So those, those make up most of what we're referring to when we're talking about chronic pain. Um, I would say that a lot of people also have multiple painful areas when they do have chronic pain. So amongst those people with chronic pain, um, and one survey I've seen about 60% will have it in two or more locations in their body. Wow. Wow. And, and, you know, I don't always think of, of headaches and migraines. Um, when we talk about chronic pain, I mostly think about the, the musculoskeletal issues that you've mentioned. And, and I'd like to dig in deeper on those um, for uh, musculoskeletal or MSK issues. Uh, and it seems like diagnoses of MSK issues have increased by magnitudes over the past year. Many of us, including right now, uh, have been working from home in makeshift offices using our couches or dining tables. Many of us are either moving less or in, in some cases more, but without proper stretching. So what are you seeing in, in your practice and in your work with hinge health? Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, with that shift to remote work, we're definitely seeing an increase in back and joint issues um, as employees are working in these makeshift offices. Uh, we actually conducted a survey of a thousand U.S. remote workers last June in 2020 uh, during the pandemic. And um, even at that point, our survey found that uh, 45% of people surveyed were experiencing back and joint pain. And, and of those, 71% said that that back and joint pain had gotten worse or was new um, during the pandemic since they switched to remote work. So um, certainly we're seeing an increase um, in, uh, in musculoskeletal pain. Um, I think the lack of movement um, is a big factor. And in fact, in the survey that we did, lack of movement was the the top challenge of remote work um, after social isolation was sort of the number one challenge. And, and I think we can all relate to this, that we just, you know, if we're just sitting at home, um, I know sometimes I'll just start working at the beginning of the day and and just be sitting in, in my office throughout the day and, and I'm just not moving um, as opposed to what I used to do is to as a you know, involved a commute, which I didn't necessarily love, but it definitely got me out and about and, um, and walking and moving around. Um, I, I will say we, um, we saw so far when we've looked at the, um, FSBP's member population so far with, uh, registered to date with Hinge Health, we do see a, a lot of back pain, um, that's occurring. So amongst the people registered, about 45% have been registered in the back pain program so far. And then, uh, neck is about 19% knee, uh, 18, and then it gets to hip and shoulder at around 10% or a little bit below. So those are the common conditions that we're seeing, um, in your population right now. And it sounds like our, our population is following the, the book of business for Hinge Health and what you're seeing with all your, your patients. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So we I mentioned opioids before. Can you tell us a little bit about why opioids aren't effective for alleviating chronic pain? Yeah. Uh, opioids are useful pain management for short-term pain um, after surgery or when somebody has an acute injury. 
Um, but the problem arises when opioids start to be used for long periods of time. Um, and what happens is that your body adapts to, to its presence. People uh, start to get tolerant to the opioids. They need more opioids in order to achieve the same effect. Um, and, or you need different types of opioids and it's, it's sort of a cascading problem. You just need more and more. And unfortunately there's all kinds of negative effects, um, that come along with opioids. And so obviously people know about addiction and that being a huge problem, um, obviously too much opioids. The I mean, reason it often leads to death is because it can affect people's breathing and they, they, they can stop breathing with too much, but, um, the most common side effects are constipation and nausea, which are extremely common for people taking opioids, but it ranges also to cognitive changes, mood changes, hormonal changes, immune system changes, all kinds of effects uh, come from taking opioids on a long-term basis. So all the leading medical bodies agree opioids are really just not an effective way to treat chronic pain. Um, and um, hopefully we'll get into it soon, but, but chronic pain is, is also much more complex than just simply something you can treat with a medication. It's, it's influenced by psychological factors, emotional factors, lifestyle factors, and it, it can't be simply resolved by uh, taking a pill. And I want to dive in more on, on some of those psychological, emotional, and lifestyle factors. We, you've talked a little bit about depression. We've talked about lack of movement. It's maybe a lifestyle factor. What, what more can you tell us about how those um, factors are related to back and joint pain? Yeah, this is something I'm, I'm really passionate about. I'm, I'm actually board certified in an area called lifestyle medicine, um, uh, which is using lifestyle as medicine. So using exercise, nutrition, um, substance moderation, sleep, stress management, uh, social connection, love, um, all of those uh, really evidence-based, but really important areas um, are things that I, I are really effective uh, for managing many conditions, but but pain as well. And it's really a philosophy that is behind how we designed uh, the Hinge Health Program. Um, one thing I would start with, and and maybe we could come back to this if we talk about surgeries later, because it's very related, is is that pain is not just musculoskeletal. People will say it's just a um, you know a bones, tissues, ligaments, tendons, uh, that's part of it. Um, but that's really not the full picture. There's a big aspect of pain, which is the neurological system. And that neurological system is all of the nerves, your spinal cord. And then a big factor is your brain. Um, you know, it's sort of just a fact that pain is experienced in the brain, uh, just like people see in with the brain and people hear with the brain. Uh, it's the same thing with pain. Um, it's the brain that decides to make someone feel pain or not. And so with that context, uh, pain is related to the whole body and it can be influenced by diet, lifestyle, mental and emotional states as well. Um, so we could take, um, many different factors. So maybe starting with weight, uh, weight overburdens the joints, um, and then diet, certain dietary practices, um, eating like pro-inflammatory foods, in particular like sugar and carbohydrates can also increase joint inflammation. So both weight and nutrition there, um, stress can increase cortisol levels in the body, um, that hinders, um, hormone production that's essential for tissue repair. So it, uh, tissues don't repair as easily. Um, and then when coupled with physical inactivity and, and lack of sleep, the result is often more joint pain, more inflammation, more stiffness. Um, 
Adding into that, a lot of studies have shown um, about the mind-body connection when it comes to pain. Um, it, we talked a little bit about mental health, but pain and depression share very similar pathways um, in the brain. Um, and so depression or anxiety can amplify the brain, it, the pain that the brain uh, experiences. Um, there is something along those lines um, a, 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 called the depression pain dyad or a depression pain syndrome, um, because it's so common um, to have this big overlap between mental health conditions and chronic pain. Um, yeah, so I, I think the reality is that chronic back and joint pain is really complex and it's multidimensional. And in order to address the problem, we really need to take this whole body, whole body approach to care, uh, like what we offer at Hinge and quick fixes like opioids or surgery are just not going to resolve uh, chronic pain. Uh, we really need to focus on these lifestyle changes. It sounds like a lot of what you're saying, Dr. Kraus, ties in with what AFSPA's theme has been this year and, and last year, and that's mental wellness leads to better physical health. We see it going both ways, though, is what I'm hearing you say. It's not just mental leads to physical. It's also the physical can lead to, to better mental wellness um, in your lifestyle work. That's Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's great. That's way straight. I think a lot of us consider, th think about chronic pain, or at least the pain that we're experiencing. And when it gets to a point that we can't handle it, I'm going to go see the doctor and get an injection or it's time for surgery. What I'm hearing you say is that's not the, the way we should approach it. It's the, the quick fix of surgery is not the most effective treatment. Um, why is that? And, and you mentioned that that's not the approach that Hinge Health takes. Can you help us understand how Hinge Health can help with chronic um, pain? Yeah. So, so let me start by saying that there obviously there is a time and a place for surgery. I, in no way um, are we, am I against surgery, you know, overall, you know, for all conditions. It's just that when it comes to chronic pain, uh, it's something that's overutilized. Um, and doctors are often prescribing today pain medications, uh, injections. I actually do a lot of injections myself. I, I still continue to practice at the VA. Uh, uh, or, or doctors will often suggest surgery. And that's just sort of how our health system is designed. Uh, that's the way we're trained. Uh, and that's the way that we're incentivized. Um, many doctors are incentivized for doing procedures and that's just sort of how their practice runs. Um, but this goes back to what I was saying before about pain is both a musculoskeletal issue and a neurologic issue. And I think you can see that if you are just treating the musculoskeletal part, which is what surgery does, it goes in and tries to fix a, you know, fix a joint or fix a, a tendon or a ligament or something. Um, if you're just affecting that musculoskeletal portion, but a lot of the person's pain is really coming from the neurologic system, then you can see why in many cases it wouldn't be effective. Um, and at this point, there's been many research studies um, showing that, in fact, surgeries for chronic back and joint conditions are often ineffective, and they often result in poor outcomes for patients. Um, for example, there was a, a one study of lumbar fusions in patients who are had workers' compensation, and they found that uh, about two-thirds of the patients with no surgery recovered and returned to work versus uh, a little over a quarter with the surgery recovered and returned to work. So, so really in that case, the surgery was not helping. Um, 
there's also been a bunch of studies on sham surgeries, which is just fascinating where they actually go in and um, we'll put an incision. Uh, sometimes they're really realistic. They actually have the smell of smoke. So if the person was awake at all it, or, or the, the cauterization, it really seems like a surgery to them. And they've done this for uh, compression fractures, um, other disc issues, um, for osteoarthritis in the knee and going in and sort of arthroscopically debriding. Um, and, and for some other conditions as well. And they, and for those, they found no difference between the sham surgery and the actual surgery in terms of the results. So it, it really is questionable for many of these conditions, whether the surgery is, is helping in any way. Um, there was also a recent, what's called umbrella review. So really big picture review in the British medical journal recently, um, and it concluded that, that um, although these surgeries might be effective in certain subgroups, um, there's no strong high quality evidence base showing that many of the commonly performed elective orthopedic procedures are more effective than non-operative approaches. Um, and obviously the, the surgical approaches are uh, painful. Uh, they have some risks um, and uh, you know, they're, they're costly as well. Um, so I think it's very clear now to those of us who work in the field that the conservative approaches are tend to be more effective and obviously they're much safer, safer um, for people to engage in. And, and really um, something that one of my mentors always said about uh, using lifestyle as medicine first is that all the side effects are good ones uh, if people are participating in that. I like that. Surgery. I like that a lot. And, and with the lifestyle, we're talking about the diet nutritional changes, mental health. AFSPA put together a pain management program a few years ago to offer the individualized support for foreign service benefit plan members. We already have generous physical therapy visits up to 125 per year, but we didn't have a remote in-home option for physical or exercise therapy. We, we needed to find a way to bring that sort of service closer to our members. Um, we looked at a number of companies offering the service and we decided to partner with Hinge Health. Dr. Kras, can you tell us how Hinge Health works for those of us who may not be familiar or haven't, haven't engaged in the program yet? How are members identified and what happens once they qualify for the program? Sure. Yeah. So if, if someone is experiencing back, neck, knee, hip, shoulder, or, or other joint pain, uh, they can sign up for the Hinge Health program. Um, and this is something that is left up to the member to um, decide that this might be something that's helpful for them. Um, when they come in, um, they'll, they'll come to our landing page um, and they'll uh, go through a screener process. And uh, that screener process will help us to place the, the member into the correct program. So we have various programs, um, including an acute program, you know, that's for the twisted ankles, uh, you know, twisted knee, um, something just happened and you pulled out your back, but not, not chronic issues. So we have an acute program. We also have our chronic pain program. Uh, we have a, a surgery program that surrounds people's surgery. We also have an expert medical opinion service for people who are uh, considering a surgery where we have our uh, orthopedic surgeons review the case um, and give an opinion. Um, but the basic process is that someone decides that they want to sign up. Um, we'll first ask a series of screening questions um, to decide what would be the most appropriate path. 
Um, if someone's been experiencing chronic back or joint pain, so that's over three months, and that's the most common situation that we see, um, then that would be considered you know, chronic and they'd be eligible for our chronic program. Um, when they sign up, we'll also ask about depression and anxiety symptoms. Um, uh, and you know, as we've discussed, that's so important in the recovery from chronic pain. If somebody needs um, additional support, we can refer out to uh, other services that, that are offered um, for your members. Um, but that's something that we'll take seriously in our program as well. Once somebody enrolls um, in the Hinge Health program, they'll get a Hinge Health kit that's mailed to their home. Um, and that's going to include wearable sensors and a tablet with our app preloaded on it. Um, notably, somebody also doesn't have to use our tablet and app. You can use your own smartphone device, um, whether it's Android or an iOS device. Um, we'll also send out, if people want it, a yoga mat um, and stretch bands as well. And then the, the app is easy to use, um, either from the tablet that we send or a smartphone. And it includes a daily, uh, what we call a playlist of a personalized exercise therapy program um, that's designed by uh, your assigned physical therapist that generally takes about 15 minutes to do each day. So we try and keep it uh, really short so that it can fit into people's busy schedules um, and really easy to do anywhere um, that somebody might be. And then the exercises will gradually um, uh, progress depending on somebody's capabilities. Um, and so you can people can go through either sort of more slowly or more quickly depending on what's right for them. The wearable sensors are, um, are easy to use. Uh, you simply clip them around above and below the joint. That's painful. Um, so if it's uh, your lower back, for example, you, you do one around your uh, sort of abdomen and one around your chest. Um, and then you do the exercises and the sensors allow you to know whether you're doing the exercises correctly uh, so that people can feel safe doing the exercises and not feel like they're, they're doing something wrong. Um, it also really helps us um, as a care team um, to enable or to, to make sure that somebody is progressing um, with the exercise program. We can see that people are doing the exercises or not, and we can provide the right kind of encouragement. And along those lines, um, each person is assigned a health coach and that health coach will check in with you frequently to discuss how you're doing, um, not just with your exercises themselves, uh, but also discuss your overall lifestyle and health, um, such as the diet and stress and mental health issues that we were talking about before. And, and they work with each member to develop a plan um, and strategies to, to work on whatever sort of lifestyle factors each individual is trying to, um, trying to deal with in their recovery process. And I think that's great. And it's one of the pieces that our members really enjoy about Hinge Health and some similar programs. And that's that it's not just technology. There are people who are engaging with them and supporting them in their journey to better health. Can you expand a little bit on the role of the coaches at Hinge Health? Yeah, you're right. Uh, it, that human connection is still so important in medicine. I mean, it's really about finding that balance between technology and, and the human connection um, that is most effective. Uh, so the first thing that happens when someone signs up is they'll get a proactive outreach by their health coach, um, even before they get the kit in the mail. And that health coach is then accessible at all times um, during the course of the program, which lasts for 365 days. So that, that coach is available. 
um, to the member and in whatever format works. Um, and that could be text. It could be, um, they can do video calls. Um, they can do email, whatever is going to work best for the member phone calls. Um, that one-on-one -on -one health coach um, is their, their main job is to sort of be the personal champion of each member in their recovery. Um, and so a key part, obviously, of, of someone's recovery is regularly doing the exercises um, and, and going through the program, reading the education that we provide in sort of short bites. And it, the thing is that we all we all know a lot of things that we're supposed to do um, to you know, live a healthier life, but simply knowing that we need to do something doesn't necessarily mean doing it. Uh, so that relationship that someone builds with their health coach um, is, is really designed um, to help people to actually, you know, take that extra step to do those things that they need to do. So a health coach works on a few different areas. They'll help first with motivation, um, you know, helping people figure out um, what's their internal motivation. Why are they uh, doing this program? Why do they want to get better? Sort of being a, a health cheerleader and helping to extract what's important um, from the member. And it's uh, something that from a behavior change perspective, we call a therapeutic alliance that we try and form between our coaches and members. Um, the coaches also will really help to identify and overcome barriers. So sometimes people don't exercise because they don't have the right space or because they're not very technologically sound, or they think that they're, um, that some, for some reason the exercises aren't right for them. And so in, in any of these cases, um, the health coach will work with them to try and overcome those barriers. The, the last thing I'd say is that there's a big focus on mindset change um, with the coaches. Um, a lot of people will start our program and feel like that it's uh, that they should be pretty um, stationary because of their pain. And that's a that's a very common misconception that the coaches really try and help um, to to correct and help people to start to feel comfortable with movement. Um, and, but, but that's really individual. Um, there are other people who start and they're, they're, uh, more on the overactive side, um, and they persist through a lot of pain. And so our coaches would work differently with a member like that. So it, it's very individualized. And I would say, you know, when it comes down to it, um, people will often ask about, you know, is there a secret sauce in terms of the outcomes that we get? Because we've, we've get really strong outcomes that I, I feel are a lot better than what I can get with my patients in clinic. And, and I do feel like it's the coaching that is just um, a real critical piece of that, having that ongoing human connection that supports you to make the changes that you know, that you want to do. I think this is where we see and where we want healthcare to go, which is bringing it closer to people and making it more personal, more individualized to, to get the best results for each person. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that we've got that partnership with Hinge to make that possible for our members. So, so thank you, Dr. Kraus. Um, before we wrap up, do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I, I did want to share uh, a couple of the FSBP employee testimonials um, just so people can hear from their colleagues on how Hinge Health is helping people to change their lives and overcome their chronic pain. So, so we had one 69-year-old uh, colleague who said, uh, quote, yesterday I was able to slowly run for about 50 feet. That's no small accomplishment because I haven't been able to do that in 15 years because of the sniffness in my knees and my back had little pain. Uh, 
Another quote, um, this was someone who was about 35 to 40 years old, said it was a good weekend. We did several hikes, one of them being quite steep, and my knee did amazing. In the past, it would feel weak and vulnerable on the descent, but it felt normal for the first time literally in 20 years. And as a physician, uh, these stories always make me feel like the work that we're doing to help people get get back to the things that they love is totally worthwhile. So I really appreciate people sharing these stories and, and hope that they can uh, inspire others uh, to participate and, and hopefully experience uh, a very positive recovery as well. And that, that's fantastic. I think from, from the payer side, from the, the plan sponsor side, um, it, it makes it all worthwhile for, for just offering the program. If we can get even just two responses like this from members and, and see the results like this, it's it's wonderful. It's well worth it. Um, and I know there are literally hundreds more out there who are having success like this. Um, so thank you very much, Dr. Kraus, Chief Medical Officer for Hinge Health. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you for the great work that you and all of your colleagues at Hinge Health are doing to support our members. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. The Hinge Health program is available at no cost to qualified Foreign Service Benefit Plan members. Currently, it is only available to members who are physically located in the United States. We anticipate rolling out the program to members overseas in the next two years. For more information, please visit hingehealth.com FSBP. You can get more information about our pain management program by calling our nurse care managers at 1-800-593-2354. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Ask the Talks, a production of the American Foreign Service Protective Association. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show and tell your friends about it. We welcome your feedback on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. Look for at Ask the Cares. All information offered in this podcast is meant to be educational. Comments offered by the hosts or guests are not intended as medical advice. Please direct questions about your personal health needs to a provider. Should there be any discrepancy between information offered in this podcast and official plan documents for the Foreign Service Benefit Plan or other products offered by ASPA, the policy provisions will prevail. Special thanks as always to Hannah Wolfhart for producing, editing, and mixing this episode. We'll see you next time.